بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما in these last few weeks, as we have been talking about the biography of the great Khalifa Umar ibn al-Khattab we spoke about his life before Islam, before he became a Muslim. We spoke about his life after he accepted Islam. We spoke about his close friendship with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa and some incidents that happened in his life with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Now last week we started talking about the next stage of the life of Umar ibn al-Khattab and that is the Khilafah of Umar that is Umar becoming Amir al-Mu'mineen now during his 10 years as the leader of the Muslim Ummah Umar he had many accomplishments many accomplishments by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and perhaps from the greatest of those accomplishments was the vast expansion of the Muslim lands during the reign of Umar ibn al-Khattab During the Khilaf of Umar he was able to bring the lands that are today known as Iraq, Iran, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Georgia, Syria, Jordan, Palestine, Lebanon, Egypt, part of Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, southwestern Pakistan, all of these places became under Muslim rule during the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab So that is a vast expansion. That is a huge expansion in a very short period of time. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed Umar and he gave tawfiq to Umar to be able to do this. During the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab the Persian Empire which just a few years prior was the most powerful empire in the world. During the Khilaf of Umar the Persian Empire was completely destroyed. It was completely dismantled. It was finished. Also, the Byzantine Empire, which after the Persian Empire used to be the second most powerful empire in the world. During the Khilaf of Umar al-Khattab the Byzantines lost 75% of their land to the Muslims. So the Persian Empire was completely gone and the Byzantine Empire became just a shell of what it was by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these things happened during the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab Now as we spoke about when we discussed the biography of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq we mentioned that his main military commander, the main military commander of Abu Bakr was Khalid. Ibn al-Walid radiallahu But when Umar radiallahu became Amir al-Mu'mineen, when Umar became the Khalifa, he removed Khalid ibn al-Walid from his post. Khalid ibn al-Walid was not the military commander anymore. Umar took him off of his post. He removed him from the military. And what was the reason for this? Why would Umar radiallahu take away a successful, an extremely successful military commander? Why would he remove him? from his post. Now, Khalid radiallahu anh, as you know, he never ever lost a battle, ever. 
If Khalid was the commander of the army, he never lost a battle. Even in the times of Jahiliyyah, before Khalid was, before Khalid was a Muslim, during the times of Jahiliyyah, even those battles that he was the commander of, he never lost. And after he became a Muslim, every battle that he was the commander of, he never ever lost. He didn't lose a single battle ever in history. Before Islam or after Islam. So why did Umar remove him from his post? Because Umar was afraid that the people might start attaching victory to Khalid. The people might start to believe that, okay, if Khalid is the commander, then we cannot lose. So they, in their minds, they would be connecting victory to Khalid. They would be attributing victory to Khalid. When in reality, وَمَن نَصْرُ إِلَّا مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ That victory is not from anyone except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Victory, it comes from Allah. So he didn't want the people to lose that connection and to start thinking that, okay, if Khalid, if Khalid is the commander, then we can't lose. So their hearts would be attached to Khalid instead of being attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For, so for this reason, see how, how much importance Umar put on the aqidah of the Muslims, on the belief of the Muslims, that no, your hearts have to be attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He didn't want anything to jeopardize that connection, that faith that the Muslims had in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he said, okay, we're going to remove Khalid ibn al-Walid so that the people will know that victory does not come from Khalid, victory comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he removed Khalid ibn al-Walid from his position for this reason. And he explained it to the people. The people were shocked. Like, you're removing Khalid ibn al-Walid from the military when he is the most successful commander that we have ever had after the Prophet sallallahu so Umar radiallahu anhu, he explained it to the people. He said, I'm not dismissing Khalid because I'm angry at him. No, I'm not dismissing Khalid because he did anything wrong or there was any dishonesty from him or any type of treachery from him. No, nothing at all. It's nothing like that. Rather, the only reason why I'm removing him is because I feared that the people would rely on him for victory. They would rely on Khalid for victory. When? In reality, it is actually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone who grants victory. So he explained his reasoning to the people. Now after Khalid ibn Walid was removed from his post, this is a person who grew up, his whole life is, is battles. His whole life is on the battlefield. Even before Islam, after Islam, he spent all his time on the battlefield. This is what he knew how to do. This was his life. He was a soldier. He had that in his blood. Right? So now he's removed. Suddenly he's, he's not the commander and he's not even a soldier anymore. So now, what, what should he do? He kind of doesn't know how to live without being a soldier. How to, how to live a regular life not as a soldier. Doesn't really know how to do it. So, in his spare time, now he has a lot of free time, he started reciting Qur'an. He said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to now that I have all this free time, I'm going to dedicate myself to read the Qur'an. So he would read the Qur'an, and he didn't memorize much Qur'an at all. Because he was always busy in jihad. He was always busy on the battlefield. So he had no time to memorize Qur'an. He had not much time to read Qur'an. But he had a valid excuse. It's not like he was lazy and sitting back and doing nothing. No, he was fighting in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So after 
after he was removed from his post and he started reading Quran, he would say, لَقَدْ مَنَعَنِي كَثِيرًا مِنَ الْقِرَاءَةِ الْجِهَادُ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ My fighting in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my jihad, it really has prevented me from reciting the Quran. It really, it really made me too busy to actually recite the Quran. But now that I have so much free time and I'm not on the battlefield anymore, I will recite Quran. So then he started to recite the Quran. Now Khalid radiallahu anhu, he didn't live much longer after being removed from his position. And he died during the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab. He died during the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu And he died on his bed. Imagine this, a man who spent his whole life on the battlefield. He doesn't die on the battlefield. He dies on his bed. And he was actually sad to be dying on his bed. When Khalid was dying, he said, I have fought in so many battles. There is not a single spot on my body that doesn't have a wound or a scar. Any place that you see on my body, there is a battle scar there. Every single part of my body has scars from battle. But today, instead of dying on the battlefield, I'm dying on my bed like an old camel. So he was upset, he was sad to be dying on his bed instead of dying in the battlefield. And he said, May the eyes of the cowards never sleep. A person who is scared, who is a coward, he'll never be able to rest, right? Because he's always afraid that someone is going to come and get him. But a person who is brave like Khalid ibn al-Walid, when it's time to rest, he can rest easily. So he said, May the eyes of the cowards never sleep. So when he showed his sadness that he's dying on his bed instead of dying on the battlefield, one of his friends who was with him, he said, Ya Khalid, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave you the title of Sayfullah. You are the sword of Allah. You are the sword of Allah. How can the sword of Allah fall down in the battlefield? The fact that you are the sword of Allah means that that sword cannot be broken. So how can the sword of Allah fall down on the battlefield? That's why you never died on the battlefield. It was not decreed for you to die on the battlefield because you are safe Allah. You are the sword of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that sword of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never fall. So that is why you are dying on your bed and not on the battlefield. So he explained it to Khalid in this way. Look at this. Great honor for Khalid ibn al-Walid. So when Khalid when he finally passed away, Umar cried a lot. And the woman from the branch of Quraysh that Khalid was from, they cried a lot. They were crying, crying, crying a lot. Such to the extent that some of the people, they went to Umar and they said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, these women, they're crying too much. Maybe you can stop them. They're just crying and crying and crying over Khalid ibn al-Walid, that Khalid has died. And then Umar radiallahu he said, why shouldn't they cry? Khalid, Abu Sulaiman, he is a person who deserves to be cried upon. And that was his kunya, Abu Sulaiman, Khalid ibn al-Walid. So Umar said, Abu Sulaiman is a person who deserves to be cried upon. Let them cry. Let them cry. As long as they don't beat their cheeks or rip their clothes or do any of these things, let them cry. They can cry. Khalid is a person who deserves to be cried upon. And that was 
how Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu an passed away during the Khilaf of Umar ibn al-Khattab. Abu Bakr radiallahu an, he used to say about Khalid, Abu Bakr used to say about Khalid, Ajizatin nisa' an yalidna mithla Khalid. That the women, they are not able to give birth to anyone like Khalid anymore. That's it. The women cannot give birth to anyone like Khalid ibn al-Walid. So that was, that was the, the special nature of this great man, this great warrior of Islam, Sayyidullah, the sword of Allah, Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu anhu. So he passed away during the Khilafah of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. Alright, now getting back to the conquests, as we mentioned, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, he conquered many lands during his Khilafah. Uh, and we'll start inshallah with the conquest of the Persian Empire. Umar radiallahu anhu, by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he conquered what was considered the strongest empire of that era, which was the Persian Empire. And this conquest of the Persian Empire, it actually started during the Khilafah of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. As we, as we mentioned, during the Khilafah of Abu Bakr, they, they conquered Iraq, right? So that started during the time of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, but it was not completed. They got part of the Persian lands during the Khilafah of Abu Bakr, but not the whole Persian Empire. So it continued during the Khilafah of Umar radiallahu Alright, so after Iraq was conquered during the time of Abu Bakr radiallahu the Persians, they went to two of their military commanders, Rustum and Fayruzan. Now Rustum and Al-Fayruzan, they were not from the family of the Kisra. They were not from the royal family of the Persian Empire. Rather, they were two of the military commanders, two of the powerful military Persian commanders. Rustum and Al-Fayruzan. So they were highly respected amongst the Persians. And after the Muslims conquered Iraq during the Khilafah of Abu Bakr, the family of the Kisra, they went into hiding. The Kisra had died himself and he had some children, but those children and the rest of the family, they went into hiding because they were afraid. They were afraid that the Muslims would come and kill them. So, while the family of the Kisra were in disarray, not knowing who to appoint as the new leader and they're in hiding and they're completely divided, they don't know what to do. These two military commanders, Rustum and Al-Fayruzan, they decided to take advantage of the situation and they became basically the de facto rulers of the Persian Empire. Even though they were not royal, they were not from the royal family. They saw that, okay, the family of the Kisra, they're in turmoil, so let us take charge. So. Rustum and Al-Fayruzan, these two military commanders, they became the, the more, most powerful people in the Persian Empire. But each one of them wanted power for himself. Rustum didn't want to share the power with Fayruzan, and Fayruzan didn't want to share the power with Rustum. So they were fighting with each other too. They both actually wanted to kill each other so that they could consolidate power for themselves. So the Persian Empire is in complete disarray. The family of the Kisra, they have their own problems. Rustum and Fayruzan, these two military commanders, they want to kill each other. So it's a big mess in the Persian Empire. So some of the important people of the Persian Empire, they approached Rustum and they approached Fayruzan and they said to them, look, you need to get your act together. You need to get your act together. You're fighting with each other while the Muslims are coming and taking our lands. Instead of fighting our enemy, instead of fighting the Muslims, you guys are too busy fighting each other. How are we going to defeat them if, you're, if you have so much internal fighting going on amongst yourselves? 
How are, you going, how are we going to defeat the enemy? So they told, they gave a, they gave a warning to Rustam and Feruzan. You guys better get the act together or we will revolt against you. The people will revolt against you if you keep up with this. So now Rustam and Feruzan, they're saying, okay, well, what, are we, what are we supposed to do? We need to, we need to all unite under someone, under a leader that everyone will accept. So they started their search for who can be a leader, who can be a ruler that everyone can unite behind. And finally, one of the sons of the Kisra who had died decided to step up and take the position. And everyone agreed to give him that position. One of the sons of the Kisra. And his name was Yazdajard. Yazdajard, who was one of the sons of the Kisra who had died. So he became the new Kisra. He became the new ruler of the Persian Empire. And everyone got behind him. The people got behind him. The military commanders got behind him. And he was able to somewhat bring back together this broken empire and basically reestablish the army as much as possible. So what Yazdajard wanted to do was to recoup the army and regain those lands that the Muslims had just taken. The lands that were conquered during the time of Abu Bakr, Yazdajard wanted to regather the army and take those lands back again, reconquer those lands back from the Muslims. So Al-Muthanna ibn Haritha who was one of the military commanders of the Muslims who was stationed in Iraq by Abu Bakr. He was still there in Iraq during the time of Umar. And he saw what the Persians are planning, what Yazdajard is planning, that they're, they're going to recoup their army and they're going to try to take these lands back. So Al-Muthanna ibn, ibn Haritha al-Shaybani, he sends a letter to Umar ibn al-Khattab to tell him that this is our situation, we need help because they're going to try and take these lands back from us again. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he put together a, an army to face the Persian Empire. And he sent messages, Umar radiallahu anhu, sent messages throughout the Arabian Peninsula. Remember the whole Arabian Peninsula is Muslim, alhamdulillah. So Umar sends messages throughout the different parts of the Arabian Peninsula to, to gather soldiers and send them to Iraq. Wherever the soldiers are in different parts of the Arabian Peninsula, go to Iraq because he wanted to form a big army. And he also prepared an army from Medina to go there to Iraq in order to face this threat from the Persian Empire. Now Umar he was planning to lead the army from Medina himself. He was planning to go out with them as well himself. But as Amirul Mu'minin, he was not sure that this was the right decision. Like, should I go myself actually to the field? Even though I am in charge of the whole Muslim Ummah, should I, should I accompany this army? He was not sure if that was the right decision to make. So he gathered his closest advisors and he asked for their advice. Should I go with this army and go to Iraq and lead the army? Or should I appoint someone to do this on my behalf and I will stay in Medina and control things from here. So he consulted his advisors and Abdul Rahman ibn Awf he said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, you should stay in Medina. You should stay in Medina and appoint someone to lead the army on your behalf. Because if you go and if something happens to you, then we are afraid that the state of the Muslim Ummah it will be in disarray. We need, we need your leadership here in Medina. So appoint someone to go on your behalf to lead that army. So 
Umar radiallahu anhu, he agreed with this opinion and the other advisors, they all agreed with this opinion as well. They said, yes, Umar should stay in Medina and he should appoint someone to lead the Medina army into, into Iraq to fight with the Persians. So then they had to decide who. Who should lead the Medina army? Who should lead this army in place of Umar ibn al-Khattab to go and face the Persians? So they're thinking, who is the right person for this? And then one of those advisors, he said, Wajattuhu, I know who it is. I know who we should appoint. Wajattuhu. And then the people asked him, Man, who? He said, Al-Asad, Al-Asad. The lion, the lion. He's not telling the name. He wants to make them excited. So that they'll ask, who is it? Who is it? He said, Al-Asad. They said, they said, man, who is Al-Asad? Who is the lion? And he said, Al-Asad fi arinihi. The lion who is in his den. The strong lion. The powerful lion in its den. Then they said, man, man, okay, who are you talking about? You're saying the lion, the lion in his den. Who is it? And when they were so excited, finally, he told them who he was thinking of. He said, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. He's the right person to take this position. And then all of the advisors and Umar radiallahu anhu himself, they all agreed. Yes, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, he's the best person for this mission. They said, Sadaqt, you have spoken the truth. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas is the best one. Huwa laha, huwa laha. He is the right one for this mission. He is the right one for this mission. Who is Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas? One of the greatest companions of the Prophet He is the first person who ever shot an arrow in Islam. He is from As-Sabiqeen al-Awwaleen. He is from the very early Muslims in Mecca. He is from the 10 companions that the Prophet gave glad tidings of Jannah. And he was also related to the Prophet from the Prophet's mother's side. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas was related to Amina bint Wahab, the mother of the Prophet. So he had all of these great qualities. So Umar agreed. He said, Yes, this is the right decision. I will appoint Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas to lead the army from Medina. And before Umar sent Sa'ad off, before he sent him, he gave him some advice, some parting advice. He said, Ya Sa'ad, don't let the fact that you are related to the Prophet ﷺ, don't let that fact deceive you into losing your humility. Don't become, okay, so proud. Okay, I'm related to the Prophet ﷺ. Don't, don't let that make you arrogant. Remain humble. Because surely Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He does not erase evil with evil, but He erases evil with good. So family lineage, it doesn't matter except if there is obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If a person is disobedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then his family relations is not going to help him. Right? Of course, we respect the Ahlul Bayt. We respect anyone who is related to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But the condition is that that person has to be a person who is obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the family lineage is not going to help if a person is disobedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Umar radiallahu anhu reminded this to Sa'ad and he said, make sure that you follow the way of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Make sure that you follow his footsteps and you follow his sunnah. And he sent Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas off from Medina with an army of 4,000 soldiers. 4,000 soldiers. Now while Sa'ad and his army were on their way to Iraq, Sa'ad received a letter from Umar ibn al-Khattab with more instructions. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he's in Medina, but he's making sure he's, he's trying to guide Sa'ad on every step of the way, what to do. So this letter that Sa'ad received from Umar ibn al-Khattab, 
it had certain instructions. And from these instructions, Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, Min Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar ibn al-Khattab, ila Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. From Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar ibn al-Khattab, to Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. He said, I order you and all the troops that are with you to be obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all circumstances. Because obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is better than the weapons against the enemy. Your obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's going to help you more than your weapons are going to help you against the enemy. He said, I order you and all the soldiers who are with you to be more cautious and afraid of your own sins than your enemy. You should be afraid of your own sins more than you are afraid of the enemy. Because your own sins are more dangerous to you than your enemy. If anything is going to prevent you from winning this war, it's not the enemy, it's your own sins. So be more careful about that. Then he, then he continued, he said, the Muslims are victorious only because their enemies are disobedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The only reason why, why the Muslims win in battle is because the enemies are disobedient to Allah and the Muslims are obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Umar said, and had this not been so, if it weren't for the fact that our enemies are disobedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we are obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we would not win. How could we win? Because we would not have power over them. We don't have as many men as they have. Their army is much bigger than our army. Their weapons are much more than our weapons. They have more supplies than we have. But what differentiates us from them is that they are disobedient to Allah and we are obedient to Allah. So if we become disobedient to Allah, then surely they are going to defeat us because they have more people and they have more weapons. So the advantage that we have over them is our obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So don't lose that advantage and make sure you remain obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said, if we commit crimes and sins as our enemies do, then our enemies will have superiority over us in power and we will not gain victory over them because we do not overpower them in strength and numbers. And you should know that this marching of yours in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this fighting of yours in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you should know that there are angels upon you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that are watching you and they know what you are doing. They know what you are doing. So be shy from them and do not commit acts of disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while you are going in Allah's cause. You're going for jihad. How are you going to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And don't deceive yourselves. Don't say that, okay, our enemy is worse than us. So they will not overpower us. Don't think that, okay, even if we sin, it's okay. Because still they are worse than us. Because they are disbelievers and at least we are believers. So even if we sin, we're still better than them because we are believers and they're disbelievers. So we will still beat them. Don't think like this. Don't be deceived to think like this. Do not say our enemy is worse than us so they will not overpower us. Perhaps some people who are worse than others may overpower the others. As the Majus overpowered Bani Israel when Bani Israel involved themselves with disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Bani Israel, they were believers. But they were overpowered by the disbelievers because of their sins. So Umar radiallahu anhu reminded, reminded his, his people of this. That look, many Israel, they were believers, but they were defeated by al-Majus who were disbelievers. When the 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this in the Quran that Bani Israel they were defeated by the disbelievers until they entered their homes right so Umar is reminding them that even though they are disbelievers and you are believers don't think that you can disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you will still be victorious against them and then he concluded his letter by saying and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for assistance for yourselves continue to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Ask Allah to save you from sins. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you from disobedience. Just as you ask Allah for victory over your enemies. Of course, you're in a battle. You're going to ask Allah for victory against your enemies. In the same way, don't forget to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you from disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this was the advice of Umar bin Khattab radiallahu an to Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas and his army. So Sa'd and his army of 4,000 men from Medina, they reached Al-Qadisiyah. Al-Qadisiyah is a small city about 50 kilometers away from Kufa in Iraq. And the army of Al-Muthanna, which was already there in Iraq, they also joined Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. And they were 8,000 soldiers. So Sa'ad's army was 4,000 and Al-Muthanna had 8,000. So it's a total of 12,000 with more people still to come. Remember, he sent the message all over the Arabian Peninsula, send your soldiers to Iraq. So more were to come. But for now, there were 12,000 soldiers. But by this time, by the time Sa'ad had arrived in Al-Qadisiyah, Al-Muthanna, who was the leader of the troops who were already stationed there in Iraq, Al-Muthanna had passed away. Al-Muthanna, he succumbed to previous wounds that he had in battle and he passed away. A great companion of the Prophet and a great uh, commander of uh, the Muslim army. Alright, so now the Muslims are at Qadisiyah waiting for the Persians to make their move. They're stationed at Qadisiyah, they set up their base at Qadisiyah and they're waiting for the Persians to come and make their move. And inshallah next week we will continue speaking about the great battle that took place at Qadisiyah. The battle of Al-Qadisiyah, we'll speak about that next week inshallah. Jazakumullahu khayra wa barakallahu feekum. Wallahu alam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.